Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You know, I'm not a human headline. You know, I, there is more to me than silly mistakes. You know, I've had an unbelievable life, which I'm very grateful for. I've given a lot of joy to people. And I, I played in part of an Australian cricket team over a period of time where we were the best side in the world. We beat every team home and away. I played with some unbelievable cricketers and characters, not just cricketers, but people, who have become great friends. So, you know, I, I, I've been very, very lucky. And yes, there's been a few silly things along the way and some bad choices and stuff, but at the end of the day, the good outweighs the bad. Well, yes, the good was unbelievable. And we just can't believe it. What's happened today, the news that Shane Warne has died, age 52. We're all in the cricket world, especially in just total shock. Um, he felt like someone, you know, that was invincible. And he had so much life and vitality and energy and so much passion for the game as well. I mean, he rejuvenated leg spin. He almost rejuvenated the game in a way. And he was such a compelling character. It's just impossible to think he's dead, Simon. Yeah, no, it was really hard to believe it. I came in this afternoon and my phone was lit up and Shane Warne's name was on the phone. And he thought, well, you know, what, what's happened now? And I you know, couldn't believe it when I heard that he died. You know, it's very, very sad news. Uh, one of the greats of the game. I think, you know, sometimes when people die, that phrase is used, and he was a great, but he he was one of the greatest, wasn't he, of of all time. I mean, he was one of the, the five uh, cricketers of the century in 2000 when Wisdom did their sort of look, look back over 100 years of the game and he absolutely deserved to be right up there. 708 test wickets, uh, 1,001 international wickets. It wasn't just the, the wickets he took, it was how he took them as well. I mean, there was such theatre about the way he he, he played cricket. He, he, even as a you know, as English supporters who were tortured by him in a way, you know, he he played in so many Ashes series, he took so many wickets, he was so successful in those series. You, you could only just sort of admire his brilliance because that is exactly what it was. Mm. 
he he teased and tormented batsmen, didn't he? And in a way, you know, he came from an era which had been dominated by pace, West Indies through the 1980s, and their catalogue of, you know, their conveyor belt of pace bowlers. And in a way, he was the antidote to them. He was actually brought in by Australia to sort of nullify, to be a counter to that pace era. And, you know, he was bowling at 47 miles an hour, 50 miles an hour, but he he made a lot of batsmen look like newborn foal on roller skates. You know, it was a it was it was almost a pantomime watching him bowl to to inept batsmen and and as you say theater is a great word because there was so much build up to every ball gideon hay the the well-known australian journalist has written a brilliant book about shane warne and just his art and you know there's a whole chapter on his run up you know that well it wasn't a run up it was a walk up but you know, the way he just thought out batsmen and conjured up wickets and uh, you know, he was a sort of almost a wicket thief, really. And of course, he had that famous ball, the pickpocket delivery, which bowled the batsman round his legs. You know, he, he was a sort of a, in a way, almost a con man. You know, he pretended he had all these deliveries and at the start of his career, he did. But by the end, he just had a couple and it's just the way he used them. To, to, to undermine batsmen was absolutely amazing. Yeah, I think in cricket there are three things that really stand out. When you go to watch a game of cricket, you want to see a great fast bowler. You want to see a top-class batter, you know, the, of the highest class, the likes of Tendulkar and Viv Richards and Kevin Peterson, players like that. And you want to see a top-class leg spin, if you possibly can. That, and there haven't been lots and lots of top-class leg spinners. So if you get one, it's, it's incredibly rare, it's incredibly precious. And it is probably the most beguiling of all those arts, isn't it? W- watching a, a great leg spin bowler bowl, because they can spin the ball so far and they can make the, the batter look really stupid. You, you don't know which way it's spinning. Uh, but having said that with Shane Warne, it was a, it was the big leg break that was the, the real threat. I mean, I can remember exactly where I was. I can actually picture it now when he came on to bowl at Old Trafford in that test series. His first test series, his first test match in England, uh, Mike Gatting on strike. And, you know, the, we, we all know uh, what happened. But it, it was just a, such a mesmerising moment. And I remember sitting there thinking, uh, as, just after it happened, ah, there's the ashes gone for the next 12 years. Because uh, it just felt like that. He thought, because he had such a big build up to this, you know, there was this talk about this guy, Shane Warne. You know, he, he didn't have a great start to his, his test career, did he? He was at 1 for 150, whatever it was, in his first test match. But there were sort of rumours, you know, that he, he could actually bowl. And he, he, they held him back a bit in the in the tour warm up games. So it was a moment of intrigue when he came on to bowl. It wasn't, you know, it, he, was, he was a phenomenon. It was certain to happen. Of course, with leg spin bowlers, you never quite know anyway, because there's always a lot of leg spin bowlers. They can bowl a good ball, but they can also bowl, you know, two or three bad balls as well, which get punished, which relieves the pressure on a batter but he, that moment you just thought goodness me this this is something absolutely phenomenal and because he, he he fully justified what happened in you know in that delivery mm. and, and he sparked a new interest in the game undoubtedly by that delivery and his general approach to the game and his genius as well I mean he was an absolute genius as a bowler and actually, you know, he had a quite a, a, a powerful impact on me because that year, 1993, was the year I retired from cricket and was embarking on a new career in journalism. 
And, you know, I was sort of looking around for something interesting to write about initially. And of course, there it was, staring you in the face. This blonde leg spinner, you know, who was basically a beach boy, really, coming into the Australian team and, and suddenly totally tying England in knots. And so, you know, I started writing about him. I started taking a lot of interest in him. I think he actually was the reason I became more interested in analysing the game because there was so much intrigue surrounding his deliveries. And when I was really sort of fully fledged as a journalist, I actually went out and covered a series uh, that didn't involve England just to sort of try and get closer to his world, really, and, and, and his, his skill. And I spent about a month following him round Australia and got one really long, in-depth interview with him. This is in 1996, uh, when Australia were hosting the West Indies. And it was a kind of pivotal series as well, because Australia had just beaten the West Indies in the West Indies and sort of ended their decade and a half of dominance. And now the West Indies were coming back to sort of take revenge. And they, But the, Australia had this you know, extra kind of card in, in Shane Warne. Anyway, I, I followed him around for a while, and... He invited me down to the Nets one day before the Adelaide Test match. And it was lucky. I happened to know Jeff Marsh, the Australian coach at the time, because I played club cricket with him. So he was sort of, yeah, come on, mate, have a bowl, you know, have a bowl in the Nets. But the, the great advantage of that sort of place was I could sample Shane and Terry Jenner, who was his mentor and became known as the spin doctor, the former Australian leg spinner, I could sample how they work together. And it was it was fascinating, you know, a real insight into Warren's skill and ability to manipulate a batsman. So he's bowling to Matthew Hayden and Mark Taylor in the nets and they're, they're, they're playing quite confidently, two left-handers. Um, and, and then Warren sort of is, is a bit lost for what to do. And Terry Jenner says to him, just try going a little bit wider of the crease. Bowl the same ball but go a little bit wider of the crease. And so you're creating a different angle for those left-handers. So he tried it and they weren't quite sure. They were a bit uncertain. Warren sort of found a new trick. The next day in the test match, first day, Warren comes on to bowl. Lara and Chanderpaul, two left-handers at the crease. They're both on, I don't know, 20 or 30 or something. And Warren bowls a few balls. You know, they block them back. Then he goes wide of the crease and lures Chanderpaul into an edge to slip and Lara to miss Q1 into the covers. So he gets two wickets with exactly that little tiny trick that Jenna had taught him, go slightly wide of the crease, angle the ball across, so it looks like it's the same ball, but it's just come from a different place. Two wickets. And he, he sort of, at the end of that second wicket, he just gave a thumbs up to Terry Jenner, who happened to be commentating at the time in the ABC box. And I was watching that sort of interaction and it was just fascinating to see Warren being able to listen to an old master of the art and then implement the ideas. And, and you know, Warren was just a sort of sponge for information about batsmen and you know, little intricacies that they, little mannerisms and little idiosyncrasies that they had. And he was able to undo them because of his, his, his perception and his skill. He was a great explainer as well, wasn't he? I mean, he, he, he wasn't just instinctive. I mean, it, it was thought out. And you, you, you heard that in his TV commentary as well, didn't he? I mean, he, he had so he had lots of theories when he when he was on TV. He, he did talk a lot, which is sort of against the sort of Richie Benno uh, tradition of, of television commentary. But he, 
he, he almost had a theory of ball, and it, you, you mm. could sense that was that was probably how he played as well. When he was out in the middle, he knew exactly what he was doing, what the plan. The, you know, he was almost like cutting the key every ball to try to unlock the door. And there was I watched actually a piece of YouTube. Uh, action this afternoon actually when he's playing in the big bash towards the end of his career and he was bowling in a in a game at the mcg for the for the melbourne stars and he was he was actually on mic you know when they they might might mic the players up normally when the when the bowling's happening you you, you normally have a fielder don't you occasionally a wicketkeeper you normally have a fielder. but this is the bowler and he was sort of talking the commentators and therefore the viewers through the over and he eventually, of course, inevitably, he got his wicket because he said, I'm, "He said, I think, I, I think Brendan McCullum was on strike." He's, it was Brendan, yeah. McCullum, and he yeah, said, "He said, yeah. I think, he, you know, I think he's going to sweep. He's either going to go inside out over extra cover, or he's going to sweep. So I'm going to push it through a, a bit quicker and nice and straight." And McCullum went for the sweep, and he was just slightly bowled around his pads. So you know, it was, a, it was actually a sort of that brilliant interactivity, really, um, between his skill, his ability to think, and also his ability to communicate on. On television, because that you know that's what he became, didn't he? he? Became a you know a high a highly sought after television commentator. Yeah, always fascinating to listen to, and you know words were a very important asset to him as well. Uh, you know, I'm thinking back to by the way that uh, that incident that you talk about there is in the documentary, which is out now. It came out about a month and a half ago about his life, uh, and it, it, you know it features lots of kind of you know brilliant deliveries. And the odd thing, like you say, when he was actually almost predicting what he was going to do in this match. Um, I don't think, actually, the documentary really captures the, the theatre, the true expertise that that he was able to, you know, just purvey on batsmen for, for you know, a decade and a half. Or this sort of psychological hold, this, this, this ability to to make batsmen uncertain what to expect. And I'll give you an example of that. Um, this is a story that, that Andrew Strauss tells you know, against himself, and it was in the, the well-known 2005 Trent Bridge Test match when um, in that incredible series when England had gone one all at Edgebaston and then were chasing about 130 to win at Trent Bridge on the fourth day on a difficult pitch. And they'd lost about four, four or five wickets for 70 or 80 runs they were it was the game was on a knife edge and Strauss was facing up to Warn and in the middle of an over in this tense situation with you know the whole nation watching and gripped because of course it was on channel four and obviously a full crowd and everything Shane Warns at the end of his mark and he suddenly shouts Straussy I'm going to get you out next ball next ball I'm going to get you out and you know that t- talk about the gall, you know the bravado for being having the confidence to to do that and say that. But of course, the impact on Strauss was he said to himself, oh, "I'm not going to let him get me out. I'm going to smash it for six. I'm going to smash the next ball for six. Oh no, hang on a minute. No, um, that's what he wants me to do. So no, I'm going to block it. No, no, I'll, I'll make sure I block it. Oh God, he's in my head already. He's in my head and." Of course, in a few balls later, he got Strauss out. So it, it was just that brilliance of um, manipulating with words as well as actions, which got him so much success. Of course, he did it same to Daryl Cullen, didn't he, with knobs on. Daryl Cullen, the South African uh, middle-order batter. who yeah, Well, in fact, he used to call Andrew Strauss Daryl, didn't he? Because Daryl Cullen was Shane's original bunny. And then when Strauss first came out to bat for England in the Ashes... 
uh, Warren was calling him Daryl <laughs> as a sort of little slight, uh, deliberate little sort of piss take almost. And Strauss was a bit baffled at first. Why is he calling me Daryl? But he soon realised. Yeah, it must have been horrible, actually, because I think with Daryl Cullen, he actually he got to a stage where he, he, he told him exactly what he was going to bowl, didn't he? I think he said this this one's going to be, you know, a, a leg break. It's going to be floated up a bit. Next one's going to be a bit quicker. You know, he would, talk, talk, he would tell him the ball he's going to bowl. Which must be horrible for a batter. You think, do I trust this man? Because he's trying to get me out. What is he going to bowl? And it, it, it clearly, obviously, you know, totally befuddled Daryl Cullen. He, he had, you know, very little success against Shane Warne at all. I mean, it's, 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 it's remarkable to have that sort of bravado, really, that confidence to go, especially as a leg spinner as well, because I was mentioning earlier, you know, it's... it's it, it wasn't just that he spun it a lot. It was the fact that he had that control as well, uh, which is so important. It's, it's all very well, yeah, ripping one. But if you bowl a t- two pies, two full-toss pies on leg stump, then, you know, it just it just breaks the spell. And of course, you know, there were times when he did bowl uh, bad balls. They were punished. Actually, you know, I think 2005, England did try to get after him. He had a phenomenal series. He took so many wickets. But actually, he took forty wickets 40, in yeah. the series. I mean, incredible, leading, leading wicket taker. Yeah, yeah. A- absolutely incredible. But it's but it's also but he also went for a few runs as well. But he was, you know, so it, it and that can happen as a, a leg break bowler. But generally speaking, what what, what was his you know, absolutely brilliant skill was that that control as well as a leg spinner and strong, strong, strong shoulder, strong wrists. You know, it's 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 a phenomenal. Um, I mean, it's a phenomenal career. Absolutely phenomenal. Just an incredible portfolio of skills, both mental and physical, in a way. And all those skills within, as you say, that sort of blanket of, of accuracy that only conceded two and a half runs and over, which is extraordinary for a leg spinner. Of course, it had its toll in the end because he, he wasn't able to produce quite as many of those mind-blowing deliveries uh, later in his career because of the injuries and so on. But he was always a compelling watch. And I think, you know, I think the thing that stands out about him the most, and it came over in his commentary as much as it did in his playing, was this passion for the game, which is, you know, it's everlasting, the passion. I I remember being um, in India when he took over as he, he was named as captain of the Rajasthan Royals for the first ever IPL season, and he'd retired. But Manoj Madali, my, my friend and the owner of the Rajasthan Royals, kind of convinced him to to carry on and, uh, and captain this youngish, fairly un, unexpectant team. And you know, they started terribly. The first game was just after the, the opening of ceremony of the IPL in the first year, 2008, and Brendan McCullum had set the whole world alight with this amazing innings for Kolkata and, you know, what an incredible tournament. And then Rajasthan played their first match against Delhi, in Delhi, and get hammered. And they play absolute crap cricket, terrible. And uh, I was with Manoj and his coaching, his other coaches and sort of other people in the hotel after the game, bemoaning this, you know, kind of who the hell have we picked here? You know, what, what an absolute rabble, you know, we're rubbish. And there was no sign of Warren until suddenly about two o'clock in the morning. We're still having a drink to sort of drown our sorrows in the bar of the hotel. And suddenly Warren appears and he's been in the dressing room from midnight till, say, 2, 1.30, going over the game, a sort of post-mortem, going through uh, the, the game with each player. And then comes to the bar and does the same for about two hours 
just talking about the game and what they can do to improve. And, you know, he cared so much about that team or any team that he played with. And, and you know, in that year, he took it on himself to lift lift that team out of their sort of moribund skill and and elevate them to the t- to the trophy and they won the trophy and it was his self-belief and his genius and his instinctive craft as well that probably was the was the catalyst for that you know they he turned that team round an, an ordinary bunch of players into well champions and you know he had a minus touch I remember working on that first IPL for Satanta and there was one game in which the Rajasthan Royals needed 18 off the last over to win and he was on strike and he got them in about four balls. I mean, you know, because that's the other thing as well. I mean, we talk about his bowling. He was he was quite a, an extravagant batter as well, wasn't he? I mean, you know, highest test score, 99. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, Caught a deep mid-wicket as well. Yeah, yeah. And that, that, that sort of exemplifies the point. But I remember thinking at the start of that over, uh, they got no chance. But he... But he, 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 he that was that was him, wasn't it? Really, he he was able to pull off those things that you just felt other people uh, couldn't do. Just in terms of, you know, people say, was he the greatest spin bowler of all time? Is he the greatest bowler of all time? Is the you know clearly one of the greatest cricketers of all time? Where does he rank with Matai Muralitharan? Because Murali took eight hundred wickets, and he mm. was a phenomenon as well. And they were sort of they were going along at the same time, and it was fantastic if, uh, for the game. Really, it's great to see spin, as you said, because you know, pace had dominated, hadn't it, for so long. It was great to see the sort of the reinvention of spin, really, and spin being so effective. So Murali eight hundred wickets, Shane Warne seven hundred and eight wickets. Mm. I think the difference between them was that that. Shane Warne had that extra dimension of the art of outwitting batsmen. I think he was a genius. I think Murali was also a great bowler, but he was a freak. He had very unusual biomechanics, which enabled him to produce not only the massive spinning off break, but also the ball that spun the other way with a sort of almost 360 degree rotating wrist. So he was blessed in a way, Murali, with very, very unusual um, biomechanics, whereas Warren was just an, fairly ordinary, really. I mean, he wanted to be a, 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 an Aussie rules footballer until he was 19. Um, and then, you know, cricket came calling. But he had big hands and very strong shoulders. But it was his mind that, that enabled him to get so many of those wickets. Obviously, there was skill there, but it was, it was the way he outthought batsmen. You know, a little example, for instance, Atherton, batting in the Lord's Test match in, I think, 2001. You know, he gets bowled round his legs by Warren in the first innings, that pickpocket delivery. So Atherton adjusts his guard in the second innings of that match, goes from middle stump to leg stump so that his pads are covering that possibility for getting him out behind his legs. Warren noticed that little minute change and started bowling more outside off stump, where Atherton wasn't as far across and got him out caught, caught slip. So... You know, he just spotted those little things in batsmen and was able to, as a result, un- un- undo them of their wicket. And um, I suppose, you know, the other little factor, and this is a statistical one, is that, yes, he took less wickets than, than Murali, but he was actually more effective away from home. He took 362 wickets at 25.5 away from home and 319 wickets at 26 Point five nine at home and often 
the real proof of especially a bowler or a batsman actually is not only how successful they are at home but how successful they are away from home so Warren was actually marginally more successful away whereas Murali really thrived on those spinning Sri Lankan wickets especially in Gaul and his record was 307 wickets at 27.79 away and 493 wickets at 19.5 at home. So a stark difference in Murali's performance at home compared to away, whereas Warren actually slightly better away than at home. Yeah, uh, those are quite remarkable statistics, actually, to be better away uh, than at home. You, you might say the Australian pitches, well, you'd think Australian pitches are reasonably conducive uh, to leg spin, but they probably don't spin as much as, as some surfaces. Not that he necessarily needed a, a spinning pitch to, to, to weave his magic. Probably it's a bit unfair actually to try and sort of differentiate between the two because I think what was great about both of them was the fact they were in the game doing their business, you know, and just captivating everybody. Really, it was just, it was it was a wonderful era to, to to witness, to to be part of, and to to enjoy. I remember commentating on his four hundredth Test match wicket at the Oval. I'm not sure it was a great piece of commentary actually because Alex Stewart was batting and I don't think Alex thought he was out. He was given out caught behind and he stood there and he made it pretty clear. And I sort of mentioned that in the commentary, you know, well, Shane Warne's got his 400th, but, uh, you know, was it even out um, <laughs> as, as Alex Stewart trooped off? And I remember someone emailing in saying, that was a terrible piece of commentary. Why not pay tribute to a man who's taken 400 uh, test match wickets? And actually, when you think about it, it's probably right, actually. Um, although in the moment, you you know, you you, you, re- you play the moment, you you know, you, you see the reaction from the, from the batter. But he got there... Second fastest, uh, 92 tests, but only Richard Hadley got to 400 test match wickets uh, before the first spinner uh, to take 400 test match wickets. You know, it was a you know phenomenal achievement. He was just sort of ripping through it the the whole time. And then, yeah, and to come back in 2005 and take 40 wickets in the series when he was you know he's he's really sort of towards the end of his career then, wasn't he? I mean, he he retired after the five nil the next series when Australia had their revenge. He re, he re, retired after that. Uh, 293 one-day wickets as well in a, in 194 matches. And 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 you're right, Yoz, as well. It is about that that constant enthusiasm for the game because some some people, I think, you know, when they played that long, they they want to perhaps leave the game behind. But he, you're right. He's sort of in commentary boxes talking about the game, talking about it in that really sort of you know, in, intense, involved way. All those theories that he had, constant theories about how to, to win a match, to get on top, to be positive. Yeah, I mean, it was hugely infectious. And, uh, I mean, you know, again, from a personal point of view, I, I found his uh, company incredibly interesting and, and, and sort of stimulating. And not only that, but, you know, kids would as well. And I, I remember the day that I introduced my daughter to him, who was about nine at the time, and she, she'd sort of been quite interested in cricket. And we were at Lords for the Rajasthan Royals match against an MCC eleven, a sort of invitation game, uh, in two thousand and nine. And Warren came down from the dressing room and signed a load of autographs for kids. And he posed for a picture with my daughter and spoke to her for a couple of minutes, and just took such an interest in her, her interest in the game, and she was inspired, you know, and then almost made a career out of cricket as a result. I mean, she spent the next seven or eight years playing very high level and, um, you know, her enthusiasm for the game was sort of really sparked by his interest in her and then following following his career and, you know, his passion uh, and, and constant 
energy in, in cricket spheres was really, truly infectious. And that's why it's so devastating to think that he's now gone. I mean, it's just unthinkable, really. Yeah, he had such an influence on uh, on so many people. He had 3.7 million followers on Twitter. And I, I, I can't help but note his last tweet, actually, which was not that long before he died himself. Sad to hear the news that Rod Marsh has passed. He was a legend of our great game and an inspiration to so many young boys and girls. Rod cared deeply about cricket and gave so much, especially to Australia and England players, sending lots and lots of love to Roz and the family. Rest in peace, mate. It's been a you know, very sad day uh, for Australian cricket. I mean, they've lost two huge figures of their game, Rod Marsh and Shane Warne. Well, it's an absolutely devastating day for the cricket world to lose those two great men. And we tried uh, to pay tribute to Shane Warne and his amazing career. Of course, he was no saint, and he acknowledges that in his book, actually. And the last time I interviewed him was at the launch of his autobiography, No Spin. And so, actually, we thought we'd just play you a little bit of that interview to finish and hear Shane, in his own words, talking about leg spin, about his approach to the game, which meant at times that he wasn't considered as captaincy material for Australia, which was very much their loss, and also why he wrote his autobiography. Look, there's been also been so many things written, like 12 unauthorised biographies, or maybe 13, a stage show. There hasn't been too many sportsmen in the world that have had that. So, you know, after I didn't read all those books, but getting feedback from us, like, you know what, I'm going to write my story rather than all of you guys continuing to write lies and exaggerate and things. So um, that was one of the other reasons, I suppose, for doing the book. Um, for me, setting the record straight... Uh, you know, some people do books out of spite to, to do that. I, I just wanted to just tell my journey, my life. There's a lot of things I have never said in the public domain um, about my family, about my mother, some of the tough things that she had to go through. Um, so I thought the time was right to do that now. What about um, the brutally tough things you honest, had to go through? Yeah, and what I've had to go through too. Um, you know, I am human. I do have feelings. A lot of it I bought on myself. I put my hand up for that. But there's a lot of things that weren't quite right either. Um, they weren't quite fair. Being brutally honest, I've always been honest. I've never pretended to be something I'm not, um, which I think people might not like, but they respect it because it's like when I was captain and I'd always tell whoever wasn't playing, if I had to come up to you and say, so look, you're not playing today, these are the reasons why. I wouldn't say team balance or whatever. I wouldn't give that rubbish excuse or I voted for you, the others didn't. I'll tell you why. I don't think you're bowling consistently enough or whatever the reason what I believed that's what I'd say. So the people might not like what they hear, but they'll respect you for being honest with them. So in a way, do you think that's partly why you weren't captain of Australia? Because you weren't diplomatic. And perhaps it's wrong that captains need to be diplomatic, but at the time, maybe they needed someone who was. Yeah, maybe. Uh, but I think a lot of my off-field things that I bought on myself was one of the reasons I wasn't captain for Australia. Uh, I think they probably saw me as too much of a liability for the sponsors and everyone else that are involved in cricket and the captain sort of needs to be a bit of a diplomat and politically correct, which sometimes I'm not. What, what have you learned from writing the book about yourself? Because uh, it, it can be quite therapeutic. Yeah, it can, yeah, it is in a way. I tell you what, it, did, it taught me that my memory is not as good as I thought it was. Yeah, you often and get... times at times I thought, yeah. oh, I was on top, I was, I was nailing them there, I was all over it. It was one of the best spells of all. I had three for 100. I was like, really? Yeah. I thought I was all over them. So it's amazing how you think in your mind about certain situations in the game or how you bowled in a game or batted. 
you know, there was another one I said, oh, yeah, I was smashing him and I got out for about 70. And he said, no, no, you made 35. I went, really? <laughs> like, I just, you just get game. I wasn't even playing it's, it's, in one game. It's actually annoying in a way. I wasn't playing in a game. Oh, yeah, yeah. Talking, Isn't thinking, it annoying sometimes because you actually have to, you go back on, the fact that stats are now so accurate, yeah. you go back and it actually ruins the No, 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 I don't believe that. Show me. You know, it's just, I, anyway, so I, doing the book, realised my memory is not as great as it was and, and remembering games 25 years ago that you sort of have in your head is, is different. Was but weird. off the field memories have been pretty clear have they I guess yeah you know sometimes I've got dates wrong and times wrong mm. um, you know I remember but overall, most then, of the I mean, test matches overall you're, you feel how do you feel about, about the, the process I'm of proud of the book. book I'm really proud mm. of it actually I, I'm very happy with the way it's turned out I think it's a true reflection of me and I hope when people read it they you know I'm not a human headline you know I, I, there is more to me than um, silly mistakes. You know, I've had an unbelievable life, which I'm very grateful for. I've given a lot of joy to people. And I, I played in part of an Australian cricket team over a period of time where we were the best side in the world. We beat every team home and away. I played with some unbelievable cricketers and characters, not just cricketers, but people, um, who have become great friends. So, you know, I, I, I've been very, very lucky. And yes, there's been a few silly things along the way. Um, and some bad choices and stuff. But at the end of the day, the good outweighs the bad. Just going back to leg spin for a minute, when did you first discover or know that you could bowl a big leg break? I think when I first sort of tried it, when I must have been nine or ten, the hardest thing is the getting the technique of how to bowl a leg break and and then being able to spin it. Some people can bowl it out the back of the hand, but they can't spin it. So I just had this natural gift I could spin it. And I think because I grew up on matting, it was accentuated too because everything was. It bounced more, it spun more, whatever you did, it, it, it did it more. So I think that, thinking back, it sort of 30 years ago, it sort of excited me to say, oh, wow, look at that, that's pretty cool. Where if I suppose I tried to bowl it and it didn't really spin much, it wouldn't have really intrigued me. But to see it spin and then trying to make it go the other way and do other things with it and watching what it did, it was like, it got me curious. Um, so you, 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 you're a believer that actually... you. You hadn't played much cricket before you played for Australia mm-hmm. and you were there in a way to try and outwit the West Indies. So mm-hmm. you feel in a way that you were in the right place at the right time. There's an element of luck in the, in the way you emerged. Absolutely. You know, I, I started off in 19... I think I got in the state squad in 1988, 89. So I had a, sort of a year and a half in there. I played second 11 cricket, not really doing much. 1990, made my first class debut, didn't really do much, got smashed around. 91, 92... I got smashed around by the Indians. So in the space of 18 months, we've been going from wanting to be an Aussie rules footballer to playing test cricket. It all happened so fast and I'd only played a few games. And I think the selectors had in the back of their minds that the plan was, how are we going to beat the West Indies? They're the best team in the world. No one can beat them. They've got four fast bowlers. At that stage, it was Ian Bishop, Patrick Patterson, Courtney Walsh, Kirtley Ambrose. They had four, like, 90-mile-an-hour-plus bowls. It was six foot eight. Uh, and a great batting side too, Richie Richardson and Desmond Haynes and Brian Lara, etc., etc., etc. Carl Hooper. Um, so I think they wanted to hit him with spin. So I, I think I was in the right place at the right time. You know, if I'd have been just a medium pacer or batter, I, oh, I probably wouldn't have got a game. But because I bowled leg spin, they took a chance with me and took a bit of a risk. And I think it, it's paid off over the years. And I like to think I repaid them. But um, 
yeah, right place and the right time and element of luck definitely helps. And, and how do you see the art of leg spin now? Because you sort of reinvented it, rejuvenated it 25 years ago. What do you see the state of leg spin like now? Yeah, it's a hard thing because it's actually hard to do. It's hard to bowl leg spin. And I think there's a, a lot of kids that want to be leg spinners. But once they get to sort of 15, 16, and they don't bowl well, a double bouncer or the ball gets hit out the ground, and they have to wait for another ball. The captain goes, oh, I have a spell. We'll bring the medium pacer on with one slip ring field, get control back in the game. I think they lose heart. And they go, well, in, especially in Australia, it's 40 degrees. I would rather be at the beach than fielding on the fence and not bowling. Um, so I think that's why we, we have a lot of spinners, leg spinners, try to maybe 15, 16, 17, then not get much encouragement or don't get coached properly not uh, showing some love or patience that they just get discarded, that they lose interest. And that's why I think we're not seeing a lot more leg spinners. And the other thing is now is that when I was brought up bowling leg spin, I was taught patience, ball after ball, bowling the same spot, build up pressure, don't try too much. Now, young spinners are told not to bowl the same ball twice because in 2020 cricket, if you bowl the same ball twice, you get hit out the park. Too predictable. So it's a little bit hard for those younger spinners now to try and keep that patience. And there's not too many teams are going to say, you know what, we're not going to play in 2020 or one-day cricket. We're just going to keep you in first-class cricket and you're going to learn your trade on different conditions and pitches. doesn't happen. Um, so it's very hard for the young leg spinner now too to try and get those 10,000 hours of just bowling, bowling, bowling leg breaks. So it's not easy for them. Shane Warne, rest in peace. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.